Will I flub this week? Let's find out. Let's find out. Welcome back to The War Movies. This is our podcast discussing 25 of our favourite movies from any given decade, and we are doing our fourth volume where we are covering movies released between 1980 to 1989. This is our second stop in 1985, our 89th episode, where we are, of course, talking about, spoilers for later on in this episode, the highest grossing movie of 1985, Back to the Future. I am Ben Phillips, and I am joined, as always, by my intrepid co-host, Matthew Waters. How are you? today but how did you enjoy re-watching Back to the Future? Uh, I mean it's always a treat it's a movie that I don't think I've ever actually that's a lie it's an immediate lie I was gonna say it's a movie that I've never described as my favorite movie I did panic in like a workshop thing where they're like what's your favorite film and I was like uh I can't say either Adventure Time or Goodwill Hunting so Adventure Land even Adventure Time <laughs> is a cartoon I've never watched Adventure Land or Goodwill Hunting I can't say either of those in a room like this say something slightly more mainstream I guess Goodwill Hunting is kind of mainstream but yeah I just panicked and just for whatever reason said Back to the Future but no I always enjoy watching it huge huge fan also episode 89 I was born in 1989 so that's pretty good huh <laughs> What happened in 1989? Yeah, me. The, the birth of me. And no, it's no, episode 89. Oh, episode 89. I was like, this is 1985. No, we're four, you, uh, we're four years away from the birth. We've of come me. a bit too far from uh, <laughs> from uh, you saying episode 89 for that to still be a comment <laughs> I should make. But hey, I'm self obsessed. So there you go. <laughs> I promise we can do the same for you in what, episode 99? Like, is that when you were born? No, 92. I'm not that <laughs> young, sadly. I'm, I yeah. wish I was 21. What is episode 92? 92 is Raising Arizona. Oh, fun. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this is Back to the Future, a movie yeah. which I think has had a slight impact on popular culture. A little bit, a little bit. We are still in this run of stuff that basically people formed an entire personality out of between, you know, Gremlins, Terminator, Karate Kid, Ghostbusters, this... <laughs> I have seldom called it my favourite, as I said, but like for me this might be... I kind of hinted at it last week and maybe that'll stay in the episode, who knows. In terms of like Hollywood blockbustery things and an attempt to like capture the, the masses, I think this might be the most successfully made Hollywood endeavour of all time. For me, you know, if someone wanted to make that argument, I'd be like, yeah, yeah. There are certainly I think- movies I... I personally prefer but like they are in no way an attempt to make something as big as this you know i think this might be the best movie ever made like well in terms of just kind of like big broad appeal Hmm. made probably without any intention to ever make a sequel to it (laughs) yeah although like like, i'm I'm just i'm just thinking like I, i i can't think of another movie which is so perfectly closed off and just kind of like you can tell that they weren't really thinking about making more of them Except for the very explicit cliffhanger of let's go to the future. Although maybe they were like, well, we couldn't possibly portray that on film. <laughs> and turns out they couldn't. But no, it's, it is one of those interesting ones where like this movie is so perfectly hermetically sealed. Yeah. And then the sequels are like at a point where yeah. Robert Zemeckis as, is like at the peak of his career where he can just do whatever he wants because he's yeah. had that run of like Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit and stuff like that. It's like this and Jurassic Park maybe. Yes. Um, yes, that's the other one. Those are the two that come to mind in terms mm-hmm. of like, this is intended to be mass appeal, enormous, one and done, 
onto the next thing and just yeah colossally well made i I personally slightly prefer back to the future i would imagine the average person slightly prefers Jurassic park but i mean the interesting thing is obviously both share a cinematographer like (laughs) it's the same cinematographer on back to the future and on and on Jurassic park dean cundy who we've you've mentioned many times before but obviously like i mean this is the second dean cundy movie we're discussing this miniseries he did the thing as well just a fucking monster of a career that just kind of um, takes us off eventually the roger deacons of his day (laughs) yes except he just does these like huge huge blockbuster movies and all the rest of it but yeah like this movie is i mean obviously zemeckis is like so far beyond this movie at this point where like i feel like his career you can't sum it up with just back to the future at this point because he he has got roger rabbit he has got um forrest gump he has got cast away like he's so many iconic polar express you know all the hits all the hits Um, don't worry we will we will do a deep dive into zemeckis later on well you just i remember i remember because i edited it recently you um in the gremlins episode you basically said that like zemeckis backed by spielberg is like you know he's constantly trying to give him that leg up because he believes in him to get that big hit and it just just keeps not coming (laughs) Well, that's the thing is, like, the early, yeah, so basically Zemeckis meets Spielberg at, like, I think he was, like, talking where Zemeckis was going to school with Bob Gale. And Bob Gale and Zemeckis in these early movies are, like, yin and yang. They're essentially just, like, they're doing everything. They do I Want to Hold Your Hand, which I think is, like, they're away from Spielberg and is a really fucking good movie. Like, a, just a movie about a weekend of a bunch of kids trying to see the Beatles. And it's, like, really, really fun. I know Zemeckis, uh, Spielberg was an executive producer on that one, but, like, he does, it goes absolutely nowhere. It makes, like, $1.9 million in 1978. And then they keep on trying. So, like, they write the script for 1941. Uh, I think Used Cars as well is another one that Spielberg is kind of, like, pushing up the hill. And just none of these movies keep on hitting. And eventually, like, I think they get, like, three done. And Zemeckis is like, I think you're, like, a burden around my neck. I need to go off and do something on my own to like create a voice for myself away from you so people don't just think that like you're nepotistically like you're my friend you're my mentor we've done three movies together i'm gonna go do romancing the stone as like a work for hire job and then if that's a hit maybe we can come back and do this and Mm. then romancing the stone's a huge hit spielberg is then playing off of like how big of a hit et is and all these other things so they come back together for this movie and the finally the combination of the two of them like pays off like spielberg is like the first name in the credits like i think it says like it's a, a it doesn't say it's a spielberg film but it definitely is like produced by steven spielberg and his name is at the like front and center when you when you turn this movie on and, the, and obviously like their friendship kind of like i think the combination of all of that is is spielberg wins best director in in 1993 and then at the 1994 oscars or the oscars for movies for in recent 1994 it's spielberg who gets to give zemeckis the award for Forrest Gump. Nice. Yeah, I mean, and I'm glad it, it, it finally happened for him, <laughs> basically. And yeah, an absolute banger. And it's weird, he's got like the name value of somebody who's had more major massive hits than he has. <laughs> like, I mean, some people even have problems with Forrest Gump. Like, for me, that's that's a very good movie, but... Not... I think it's a very politically weird <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. yeah. I mean, I think the thing with Zemeckis is he is impeccable at the craft stuff. Yeah. And the issue, and like, he is just such a director who is just so firmly like a director that you can show your kids to. Mm-hmm. And then he successfully transitions into being an Oscar director. Yeah. And doing like adult dramas and stuff like that. And then he also has like a Christmas movie that is, <laughs> yeah, that is beloved. Like, I, like, Polar Express is a bad movie, but like, it's one of those movies where like, there are some people who are like, oh, it yeah. It was popular. I Polar think. Express yeah. is the movie that I put on. Polar Express was like the movie that they would put on in IMAXs 
every single year mm. at Christmas time. If there wasn't like a big release out, they would go like, right, and we'll chuck on Polar Express a couple of times because it's just a movie that does. I mean, I don't want to say it looks good because it looks like <laughs> dead behind the eyes, but there is a like a roller coaster sense of like thrilldom to Polar Express, even if it's bad. I think in 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 service of like a movie that is all of. Zemeckis' worst traits, <laughs> but it is like a popular movie, and I think it's just that combination of like Castaway, Forrest Gump, the mm. Back to the Future trilogy, um, like Who, Fr- uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Polar Express, like all of these movies combine to make him an act director who you can come from watching him as a five year old to mm. when you're like getting into film and feeling like you've kind of like progressed yeah. and that's what makes him so important as a director and why this movie is kind of like the peak of of all of his aspirations as a career as well as kind of like the start of where he becomes Robert Zemeckis big name director yeah and like it's a segment that's felt ever so slightly re- well i don't know um we t- we often talk about like what's your relationship with the movie like yeah how did you first come to this movie kind of thing and i feel a lot of these are, the answer is just the same of like it was on tv ad nauseum as a child I, I was literally out with a friend last night we went to see clerks 3 which is a fucking bizarre movie like i i do not think i can put into justice just how weird clerks 3 is right. as like a <laughs> as a pop culture artifact but we were on the way there and he was like he literally went into london to see the back to the future musical like oh, a couple right. of months yeah. before and I was like, oh, I, I watched Back to the Future the other night, and we just got talking about like what we thought about the movies. And he had the exact same thing that I did, which was for whatever reason, the movie that was always on TV was, three? was Back to the Future Three. Yeah. And whenever you would stumble across Back to the Future Three, you would only turn it on in time for them on the train. <laughs> I mean, can't personally relate. I mean, I, I, I obviously I, I've seen that Back to the Future Three has been on TV a lot. But for me, I think one was like on way more, and I have such a vivid memory of like. I guess I had like a like a VHS tape that I'd, I'd recorded my dumb kid shows onto, <laughs> and like I think it was like the tail end of of Back to the Future, or like we'll be playing this on on this Saturday kind of thing. Back to the Future, so it's like seared into my brain. And but... you get like the old Nest Cafe adverts and stuff like that, <laughs> with, with Anthony Head doing his best like smoldering look. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, what a blast from the past. Yeah, like, but just such a piece of iconography, so quotable, so merchandisable, and then, you know, as you say, like, intended to be one and done, and then spawns two sequels. Yeah, we're filmed back-to-back, like, I think the original back-to-back The original Matrix, Lord of the Rings, whatever, whatever, (laughs) and Game of Infinity War, however many others have done it. I can't imagine it's a good way to make movies. Um, the um, the Russo least... said it is definitely not. But yeah, just so many moving pieces, and like every single time it happens, I feel like it doesn't actually pay off that well. Like they no. tend to be kind of like really kind of like diminishing returns. Did Lord of the Rings often. do it? Or... Lord of the Rings did. Lord of the Rings did all three back to back to back. It was like a two so, solid years worth of work. Is that the secret sauce? Two films bad, three films good. <laughs> Allegedly, I, mean, like, I don't care about Lord of the Rings. Like Infinity War. War and Endgame, obviously. I mean, I'm one of the people who likes Infinity War and Endgame, but some people really don't like one or the other of those two movies. Mm-hmm. The Paris the Caribbean movies, like, people are like, again, like, they probably prefer one to the other. Matrix is another one where, like, 
if you like one, you probably don't like the other one. And then it's also the case of Back to the Future, where I think both of them are like solid seven out of ten movies. But someone is, uh, someone will always either come to the back for the one which is so fucking complicated and again like <laughs> emblematic of a lot of Zemeckis's like worst impulses of just like let's make this bigger and bigger and bigger and I... Rube Goldberg and like we'll go to the future, we'll go to the past, we'll recreate the recreation of the first yeah. movie in the course of the second movie, and then you go back to the future three, which is what if we make a cowboy movie? And you're like, are you going to do anything else apart from that? Like, no, we just made a cowboy movie. <laughs> yeah, and you know, we, we had the Gremlins episode a few weeks ago with the Key and Peele uh, sketch, which of course ends with, I'm off to put some horses in Back to the Future 3, or, or cowboys, or whatever he says. Yeah, in my head for such a long time, I'm like, no, two, two rocks as well, two's really good. Three is the terrible one, and then I watched two, like, I don't know, a year ago, and I'm like, this really is up its own ass in a way I didn't remember <laughs> at all. I think you just go hoverboard, hoverboard, sports almanac. It's just it, not as good. <laughs> it has that unique ability of realising the first movie was a big deal and making you remember <laughs> that the first movie was a big deal. Yeah, but it's like, like three years later or whatever. Yeah, and you can see a trial run at it in that scene that you're talking about. In the last ten minutes when he's like arrived back and he can see himself... Yep. And then all of that that feels like that like spawned a larger idea in his head that he couldn't get out and like that was his entire kernel of an idea for the sequel and it just gets so I mean, on one level I I find that kind of thing cute when you see like character observing past character or like I am the person that was up on the hill that I saw or whatever. But yeah, like... it's like that it's like that bit in Time Split is Future Perfect where like you play the level <laughs> from two different perspectives and you realise you were the guy who was saving yourself earlier on in the mission. Yes, unironically rules. <laughs> But, like, yeah, it too just gets so complicated with it, like, unnecessarily. And, like, that's one of the things I like about One. One is, is, like, the perfect amount of time travel bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, it doesn't get too overcomplicated. And then yeah. two, two kind of does because there's so many different things. And, like, if you think too hard about the time travel in two, mm-hmm. you kind of go, like, mm, does, does this actually work? Like, they really stretch it to the breaking point in terms of what they're going to do. There. Was this the first or biggest time travel movie at the time I mean, because it's a thing that we all just we take for granted it's rife across culture and I'm certainly there would have been time travel shit I mean there's obviously the time machine by H.G. Yeah. Wells which has been adapted like several times but yeah. like I, I don't think it is it's not a genre at this point like yeah. I think it's like Terminator and this are kind of the two that start to like make it into what it's going to be. Yeah. And quite, just... often, quite often the older movies are like going to be things where like someone travels forward in time or they're going to be like right. old Victorian era person builds a time machine and then goes traveling around but it's also kind of more of a romance movie. Uh I'm sure I think I think there's a movie somewhere in time from 1980 which is like Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour and again it's like a romance movie and so you're normally stapling another genre onto the time travel and the time travel stuff is kind of probably more seen in like either you're doing like a straight riff on hg wells or you're like star trek yeah just for me this is like i think of like the obligatory info dump of like here are here are our rules of time travel here is what you must avoid all of that kind of stuff and like i say I'm, i'm sure it had been done but like in terms of something aimed at for mass uh, appeal. Um, yeah, I have to assume this is the movie that kind of like sparks off yeah. a million people like wanting to do yeah. time travel in the future. Like if 
I, I'm not I, I'm not a repository of knowledge on like what Star Trek stories exist, but I have to assume like <laughs> oh, if, yeah. if if Smets <laughs> and Gale are getting this from anywhere, they're getting this from like old comics, old TV serials, all that kind of stuff. Because that that's very much what their niche is. Like Smets obviously directs a whole load of episodes of like horror TV shows and mm. and all the rest of the stuff. So like, he's he's very much indebted to pulp storytelling in a similar way to Spielberg is in terms of Indiana Jones. And so like if he's pulling his time travel bona fides from anywhere, it's coming from stuff that isn't mainstream. And as you say, like this is the mainstreamification of time travel. Yeah. And much like when we talk Terminator and Terminator Two, where like Terminator Two in- introduces well, I mean, Terminator One is like time, the whole thing is time travel because he's coming back. But like in terms of, but it's, like, a, it's a closed loop. Yeah, and in terms of like the consequences and and what you can do to play with it, Terminator Two keeps it relatively simple, and then it just explodes out of control in the sequels, where like everything is just layering onto it. And in that same way, I think Back to the Future One keeps its timey wimey bullshit reined in and simple, and like you know your parents could understand it, and it's just cute for the most part, and like the focus is going in into the attention to detail and the production design you know the costume design the vehicles the you know they have this iconic town square set that is super easy for them to control like it has the clock tower it has the diner it's got like a store you know and then it's got the little public square and they can you know it's large enough where you're like oh my god this is a whole town but actually it's it's somewhat small and i assume it's a set Really, it's like... it's the universal backlot which yeah. you'll have seen yeah. in like a whole mess of other things. Like yeah. The one my, my partner always points out is like it's where they shoot Gilmore Girls. <laughs> oh um, yeah, Stars Hollow, baby. So yeah, so like it's one of those things where like it is just. I mean, it's it's. I think a lot of the stuff is still up there on the backlot and all mm. the rest of it. So like you will see bits and pieces where you go like, oh yeah, this is literally the same set as like a billion other movies that Universal yeah, yeah, has yeah. been involved in. All the rest of it. I did. That's funny that it's Gilmore Girls. I thought it looks more familiar than it ever has before, and it's because <laughs> the entire of Gilmore Girls was consumed within the last year in my house and it will start again very soon as that meme says their power is growing as the leaves begin to fall yes um, I, I promised my partner multiple times I'll watch all of Gilmore Girls and have maybe you ever this seen is, it? I've never seen it she uh, absolutely adores it it's actually quite good <laughs> I've, I've heard very good things about it. I, 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 I've seen other Amy Sherman in shows, so yeah, like yeah. I, I am intrigued, and I obviously like like Spladell and Lauren Graham. Yeah. So I started like rolling my eyes at it, and then by you know after a while, I'm like, well, then what happens? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's got, um... it's got, it's like, yeah, Back to the Future. I mean, so so let's let's go out, and yeah. so I'm going to ask kind of two questions. Number yes. one is how much of the peripheral bullshit of Back to the Future have you consumed, seen, done anything of? Like have you gone to see the musical? No. Have you did you watch the TV show when you were a kid? There's a TV show? There was an animated TV series. Oh wow. Okay. I, I actually didn't know that. Yeah, I mean the answer is actually quite small considering I'm such a fan of it. Like it really doesn't extend beyond the movies. I would I would happily go and see the musical. I just haven't. And I've always wanted to play that Telltale game. That I th- is it Telltale or is it, it, it like it, 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 is, it is Telltale? And it yeah. was like I feel like that was the first one. I can't remember if Back to the Future was the one that like Jurassic Park was the Telltale one that people were like really excited about, and Back to the Future was the one that people were kind of like air on. But I remember oh, okay. it, was, <laughs> it was in that run of like they're building up to doing the Walking Dead game, yeah. and they're kind of getting these interesting licenses, and so everyone is kind of like looking at this company, but like they're waiting for what they're going to do, because it's like that run of, I think it's like the Wallace and Gromit game, they do a Monkey <laughs> Island game, they do back to, so they do Jurassic Park, and then that's the kind of the run of the fort, and then they do Walking Dead, and everyone's like, oh, 
fucking this is yeah. it now like you're you now exclusively do this and batman and yeah. game of thrones and guns of the galaxy and and fables and all some of stuff. those are pretty good they're just clunky for those who are nerdy enough to listen to our podcast but not nerdy enough to know what the fuck we're talking about they are kind of like choose your own adventure games where you just are constantly making snap decisions that change the story allegedly and yeah and Back to the Future was was one of the big ones for this big company. Did they land Christopher Lloyd? Was that Christopher the... Lloyd reprises his role as Doc Brown? They also got Claudia Wells to play Jen for Michael <laughs> for J. Her Fox. One line. <laughs> Michael J. Fox doesn't voice Marty, no. but he does make cameo appearances in other lines. Obviously, that's when he's dealing with his his medical yes. issues. And then I think in 2015 they got Thomas Wilson to do his lines <laughs> in the re-release. So I think any version you buy now will have Christopher Lloyd and Thomas Wilson. Yeah voicing their characters. Thomas F. Wilson, please. You have to give him his full title. And then obviously, <laughs> the, other, obviously the other one is like Lego Dimensions is yes. the other kind of like big one of those. But Lego Dimensions is just, I mean, how many, I mean, the list of things in that game, Adventure Time 18, Back to the Future, Beetlejuice DC, Doctor Who, E.T., Fantastic Beasts, Ghostbusters, The Goonies, Gremlins, Jurassic World, Knight Rider, <laughs> Legends of Sema, Lego Batman, Lego City, Lego Movie, Lord of the Rings, Mission Impossible, Ninjago, Portal, Powerpuff Girls, Scooby-Doo, The Simpsons, Sonic the Hedgehog, and The Wizard of Oz. What was the 14th one, sorry? Uh, uh, Gremlins. <laughs> but no, yeah, I mean, for me, it, it's just the trilogy. Um, I'm an enthusiast. I, I would never buy the trainers. I would never buy a hoverboard. I do not do the dumbass, get into the dumbass debates about, this is the date that they were trying to go to, or whatever. Um, but yeah, an enthusiast. Good thing we're beyond, we're beyond that now. Yeah, I know. I, I just can't believe stuff like... I mean, I do get it. Like, you know, people edit things so easily, and, and everyone takes everything at face value on Twitter, but like, that it was like, no, that isn't the date. That's, you've changed it, or whatever. And yeah, anyway. So have you ever done Florida, California, Japan, Universal Studios? What? The Universal Studios in Florida. Oh, I haven't been to. I've never left Europe. So you, so you've never done the Back to the Future ride that used to exist, kind of like. 10 no, I've I've done the Back to the Future ride in America, but I've never left Europe. It's weird. There was a portal, and they told me, <laughs> "No, I have not done it." Have you? I have done it. It's it's fun. Like it's just okay. a fun little thing. Obviously, they got they got like people back, and you're like Biff is chasing you're chasing Biff mm. through time, and yeah. like it's got all the actors, and then obviously they got rid of the ride a couple of years ago and replaced it with the Simpsons, but they've included. Wow references to back to the future in it as well you can probably find the whole thing online because like it opens i think like a year after the first movie or the third movie comes out so like they film it all in like a big block so like everyone's available and it's, mm. it's all the rest of it but yeah it's just one of those cute things where like in the 90s they were riffing on an awful lot of those movies obviously there's also the the terminator 2 3d ride at universal which is which is also good fun which also i don't think exists anymore but yeah like all this shit's on youtube if you want yeah. more back to the future stuff but yeah i'm just, okay. just kind of like looping off and like i just the, fear i would disappear down theme park youtube you know get listened to like podcast the ride and get really into it mm-hmm. <laughs> watch shrek 4d i'm sure that's something that you you're really keen on mm. Don't you want to know what happens to Lord Farquaad after he dies and comes back as a ghost? I didn't even know that happened. So. That's track 4D. <laughs> okay. Right, okay. No, just strictly main trilogy for me. I'm, okay. I'm, a, I'm a purist. <laughs> what can I say? You're a purist. And then a the follow-up question is, right, so we've already discussed Zemeckis on this podcast. Mm. I have, as of last weekend, also completed every single Zemeckis movie with his latest Nadir of Pinocchio, <laughs> which is fucking abysmal. Genuinely, one of the most unpleasant movies I've ever had the the disfortune to watch. But like, where does your Zemeckis start? Is it like, have you seen anything before Back to the Future? Uh, like, if we were to like redo this, oh, I've seen, I've seen Romance in the Stone. You seen Romance in the Stone? 
but you probably haven't seen like used cars. I definitely wouldn't have seen it before I saw Back to the Future, but I I have in in time seen it. I haven't seen I Want to Hold Your Hand 1941 or used cars, no. I haven't seen Trespass. Oh, but he just wrote that. I have seen Contact. I have seen What Lies Beneath. I have seen Castaway. I have seen Polar Express. I don't think I've seen Beowulf. I don't think I saw his Christmas yeah. Carol. You're now, you're now into like yeah, like this the, is the, all the, the, the doldrums. No one's interested <laughs> in doing any of this stuff. I want to hold your hand. Really good. I, I do okay. recommend that one. And obviously, we kind of have to discuss the movie that. If I wasn't aware that Back to the Future is kind of like the albatross around, I know his you neck, want. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is like in my top ten movies of all time. I know, I know. You, and the, like, Jerome, like, all these people, huge Roger Rabbit people, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but Back to the Future can't be fucked with. <laughs> no, no, I know it can't, and that's why I like when I saw you have it on the list, I was like, this isn't a fight I'm even <laughs> doing. But like to me, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is like his best movie. That is the one that we had on VHS for me, mm. and we're like constantly putting on. I think like Christopher Lloyd's performance in that movie is fucking incredible. I will frequently put on the clips of how they did some of the special effects in that movie and like the commitment that Bob Hoskins has oh, yeah. is is just incredible and like to a especially level Especially for where, that era. <laughs> especially for that era and especially when you consider like I can't think of anyone else in this era of like CGI bullshit where you're like acting against a, a fucking tennis ball and stuff like that. Anyone who has had put so much like depth and like thought into how they've done the character. I think like maybe Brendan Fraser in like Looney Tunes back in action is like the only other one of someone who's like genuinely interested in the craft of how you make these fucking movies and again you compare it to like what they're doing on star wars and like they're on a big <laughs> they're in a big blue void and yeah. again it's a fucking tennis ball and you're like no and here's glob shitter um... yeah, exactly and then and then you watch who frame roger rabbit and it's like they're on a set they are like hand pecked like st- like stenciling over fucking frames of the film to put the animated characters in and they've got like animatronic stuff that is like causing water to move and so much craft and also like a really fucking good noir movie that's also all about how bullshit LA's public transport system is yeah. just kind of funny but yeah Man of the Future can't be fucked with and no, it's it's just enormous cultural footprint and perhaps the only sympathetic role I've ever seen Crispin Glover in who is just exclusively creepy evil people as far as i know but he's also like notoriously like a real ass to work with really like well that's the thing is like cause he he doesn't come back for two or three and i can't remember if it's money disputes or it was just like personal disputes but obviously like everyone was saying that like whenever he was on set he would just have like the weirdest fucking take on every right. single scene and obviously like george mcfly is a weird fucking oh, person in this definitely it's a weird performance and like when you actually consider how big this movie is. You made this today, and, like, the parents are played by much more famous people. <laughs> and, like, you know, they get this weird, squirrely little Crispin Glover. And, uh, yeah, George is fucking weird. But I think that makes it charming, because his dad is just weird straight away. And then seeing him young, and he's weird in a very different way. And then, yeah. I... Seeing the confident version of him at the end. Yeah. I really, really do like Crispin Glover's performance in this movie, mm. but like, I mean, we'll, we'll get into some of the behind-the-scenes stuff on this movie because obviously this is one of the most famous pieces of recasting ever in a movie, I'd say. But should we do some background context on yeah, Back to the Future? So this is 1985. It's the highest-grossing movie as at the top of this episode. So Matt, why don't you run us through the top ten highest-grossing movies of 1985? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, number 10, Witness. Number 9, Jewel of the Nile. You got The Dream is Alive. Cocoon, finally, I've seen one of these movies. Uh, <laughs> the Colour Purple, A View to a Kill. Is that still coming up for you on your Bondry watch? Uh, we'll see whether or not I get to the um, to the Daltons. 
Utah Kills more. Is it more? Yeah, I think it's his last one. Oh, it's his last one. I will. Yeah, so I will yeah, be getting to Dalton a view to the kill. Dalton is Living Daylights and uh, License to Kill. Yeah, I'll be getting to a view to the kill like fairly soon. I okay. think in my rewatch, I've just done. It's a real divisive one. Some people are like that one's really good, and then <laughs> some people are like that one. Who's the shit. Who's the female? The Grace female. Jones. Yes, it is Grace Jones, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, and Duran Duran doing View to a Kill as the theme. Out of Africa, Rocky Four, Rambo First Blood Part Two. God damn, let's not get into how they name Rambo movies. And Back to the Future Number One. Lots of sequels up like up top, like the top five, four of the five, five movies at the top are sequels, and also a whole mess of Oscar nominees, which you're also going to run through in a second. But yeah. like, it's always weird when you realise that like back in the day, Oscar movies would also tend to be kind of like you're you're in your ten to twenty highest grossing movies of the yeah, year. Yeah, I think we've talked about that as well, where, like, Oscar movies have almost become, like, indie, like, off to the side, like, very much not intended for mass consumption you in will, the way they You will normally be. get, like, one. One, yeah, cra- yeah, one yeah. that cracks the ten that's, like, a highest grossing film. Like, I mean, based on what this year's going to be, like, maybe Avatar 2 or Black Panther 2, like, sneaks into sure. the, the ten. But, like, because it is interesting looking at the awards for this year and, like, it feels like an awful lot of them are kind of crashing and burning out, out of their festivals. So, like, is this the year where, like, the movies that are going to be nominated for the Oscars are going to be, like, Top Gun Maverick, Everything Everywhere All at Once, <laughs> Avatar 2 and Black Panther 2? Wow. Because no one is interested in seeing, like, The Sun and Bardo and Empire of Light and stuff like that. Potentially. Also, just to mention, last week's uh, The Breakfast Club is down at number 16, making $45 million versus Back to the Future's $385.5 million. Yeah, so, a little bit behind Fletch as well, which is a movie I'm watching the the long, long delayed reboot slash sequel. With oh, John is that Hamm. the one with John Hamm that I like, yeah. didn't even mark it as coming out? And it, yeah, like... I'm. I'll be watching that today. I think <laughs> someone said that's because didn't some stuff come out about he did something Matola, Matola, or Tam? Uh, I don't know. Somebody involved in that did something. I think. No, maybe I'm not. I'm not sure. But yeah, I think it was been... Ham. I think something came out that he did once upon a time. I think it's more like punchy than like you know sexual but yeah i don't know but it's very strange that uh that movie just is coming out from nowhere but yeah uh 385 million dollars not too shabby off the tiny budget of what is it like 16 million something like that uh yeah 19 19 million 19 million million. yeah not enough money for to pay crispin glover what he thinks he deserves but hey and then at the oscars what's nominated for best picture yeah, so we have Out of Africa, the winner, beating out The Colour Purple, Kiss of the Spider-Woman, Pritzi's Honour, uh, and Witness. I have never in my life heard of Pritzi's Honour. Jack Nicholson and Kathleen Turner as two oh. highly skilled mob assassins Ooh. Who, are, who fall in love Aww. and are hired to kill each other. Wow. That's pretty but yeah, cool. three of three of the top ten are Oscar nominees <laughs> of, of the highest grossing. Yeah, yeah, Out of Africa and the Color Purple dominate all the awards. Uh, yep. Most nominations tied at eleven. Out of Africa wins seven. Back to the Future is nominated for best screenplay. It's uh, good screenplay. Original, I guess. Yes, not yes. adapted. So yeah. you also got the Power of Love nominated. They get a real good use out of that by playing it basically three times in a row at the start and putting Huey Lewis in the movie while someone covers his song in front of him badly um (laughs) it wins best sound effects editing it is nominated for best sound in general it's not nominated for best sound special effects but i also guess it's not like a big visual effects scene not really there's there's a couple of like the car (laughs) but like there's other than that there's not really much else and you look at what's nominated and you're like they make the car car fly i'm sure that's like not that hard but then Mm -hmm. it's like cocoon that wins return to oz which is a 
goddamn fucking nightmare of a movie, <laughs> but has genuinely incredible special effects. And then Young Sherlock Holmes, which I've not actually seen, so don't know what the special effects are in that movie. <laughs> but like, they're making him young. <laughs> That's the thing. It's an adult actor playing a baby. <laughs> yeah, and you think about oh, the, most... the first. The film is notable for being the first full-length movie to feature a completely computer-generated character. Oh, it's Groot. Yeah, and uh, you think about the most iconic special effects shot of this movie and it's Michael J. Fox clearly not straddling that trail of fire very well. <laughs> like, oh yeah, like there's there's that one where like they're obviously being composited in. There's also like the great <laughs> scene where like his hand starts disappearing and it's very obviously not a way that a human being could like bring their hand up at the right angle. <laughs> like it's just a bit too like this is weird. Like a human hand wouldn't look like that if you were like to stare at it. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it's a good-looking movie, but so much yeah. of it is coming from the production design. Yeah, and, like, and I think it's probably it should have probably been in with a shot at I don't know costume design or something like that. Although it's always, it's... Fu- I've always found it funny that like you know with this kind of thing, the the generic thing is oh what what are these weird clothes you're wearing? And they do touch on it a little bit, like oh have you you know have you just been swimming or whatever? And like I've never seen you know the Calvin Klein gag they get a lot out of, but like you would think his entire outfit would be like completely alien but you look at the way marty mcfly dresses and he already fucking looks a million years old like he looks like someone trying to pass for younger in the 80s like with his like tucked in boring shirt into just like high-waisted jeans and stuff and it's like you'd look like you're from not the earlier than the 80s so i've always found that kind of funny i'm wondering how much of that is coming from him on like family ties Mm. because obviously like him on family ties he's playing like a young republican is like how everyone knows him he's wearing the suits he's like super buttoned up he was the first choice to play marty but i I can't remember if it was like the the show runner on family ties was like we're not giving you permission to like go do this movie and we're not so releasing you to go we're not yeah, yeah we're not releasing you to go do this so instead they have to get eric stoltz to play <laughs> to play marty and he shoots like a week or two of the movie and like they go like this isn't working and so they then go back to like the family type guys and like please 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 give us you can have 18 million dollars <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> of our 19 it's just funny to have him the character that he's playing is obviously a very real thing like you have to imagine like the child of Reaganomics and all the rest of it like the kid coming up there and going like now nah, let's make some fucking money and then in this he's playing kind of that like I don't want to say they're like uber liberal in like the 80s and all the rest of it but definitely that kind of like a little bit more kind of like hang loose kind of thing like I don't know I'm, I'm just trying to think like what his what Marty's actual deal is yeah, like he's, he's just he's just kind of like he just likes music, I guess. He likes music and skateboarding. Another another He seems movie. like he's kind of like popular kid on campus kind of thing and he's intimidated by Biff cuz Biff is like a foot taller than him. But he does throw hands and he's not like the nerd that is and like he's very confident with women and is like embarrassed that his father can't go and ask a girl out and stuff like that and yeah, you get the impression he's I mean, the fact that there are like barely any other characters in the movie, we don't get to really see how popular he is with we have no evidence he has any other friends than like a an elderly professor and his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean I mean he feels like the other half of Bart Simpson. Like if John Bender is one half, then like Martin the Friendly version, yeah. Yeah, but he like like he. This is where Bart gets like the skateboarding from. Yeah, and yeah. and they're just. Kind and he's of, in like, trouble at school, even though oh he's a good kid, really kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, 
television. Yeah. I mean, obviously, he's done a lot of television. You know, as you say, you know, he does 176 episodes of Family Ties. But, like, this movie is, like, the launch of Michael J. Fox as, like, one of the most likable people in Hollywood for, for a whole oh, yeah, minute. He's, <laughs> I, he is someone who, like, I think any time he announces he's going to come back and do something, everyone mm. is just kind of, like, so excited. But I, he is, to me, more of a television actor. Like, because when you look at, like, a lot of the stuff that he does aside from Back to the Future, it's an awful lot of voice roles. Like, it's, it's like Homeward Bound, it's like Stuart Little, it's like Atlantis. Like, he doesn't really do a lot of, like, live-action movie performances, yeah. but he is, like, again, he's on Family Ties from 1982 to 1989, he's on Spin City for five years, he's yeah. got his, like, arc on Scrubs, he's on Good Wife. Yeah, very good he, in Scrubs. <laughs> and then, obviously, like, he made his big return to television with, with the Michael J. Fox show, which is a, a show about his life and kind of, mm-hmm. like, being an actor dealing with Parkinson's. Yeah. But it is interesting that for someone who has, like, I don't want to say limited career because he's had like a long successful career and obviously like he he is well loved, but like he doesn't have that many things that you could point to and be like, oh yeah, this is like, you couldn't convincingly make like a top 10. Fuck are you trying to say box. about Doc Hollywood? <laughs> no, for sure. It, like it's very big and then is gone quite quickly. Uh, I would say like, you know, you know similar- he's in the it's- Frighteners and Mars Attack. But, like, yeah. it, it's kind of already faded by then a little bit. Um, it's kind of similar to, like, Rick Moranis, where he is yeah. someone who, like, everyone fucking loves, and then obviously they retire for reasons that are kind of, like, outside yeah. of their control, almost. And then whenever someone gets a whiff of them coming back to do something, everyone's kind of like, oh, no, this is good. Like, yeah. I'm yeah. happy to see you. You were, you have not besmirched your career because you fucked off out of the, out of the limelight and yeah. all the rest of it. Yeah, I think that helps, like... I mean, there's obviously some bad stuff that they did both make while active, but I think going away for a long time heals that kind of thing, and it's mm. it's better than if you are just floundering for roles for a decade. I'm sure some monstrous thing that he's done, but it, it, the perception is he's like a good boy who keeps his nose clean and like you know um, he's just a beloved person. I, I, and, I think and it's likewise Christopher Lloyd, like. Yeah, I think it's true for all three of the all three of the like main guys in this movie. Like Thomas F. Wilson, Christopher Lloyd, and and Michael J. Fox are all people who like they just get a lot of goodwill when they're in stuff. They're just not in stuff as often as you think they would be. Yeah, like Wilson, like as I guess the coach slash phys ed teacher in Freaks and Geeks would be yep. the second biggest thing I think I've seen him in. Or at least the the the, the thing that's got like the most tail to it in yeah. terms of like people like thinking of him doing that because yeah. like oh he pops up all over the place but oh yeah because i think he's like a, a voice actor as well a little bit as yeah well. he like, uh, he's tony does, like, zuko pieces. in in batman the animated series so he yeah he killed right. robin's parents and <laughs> he was actually really good in it but yeah and, no, like, he's it, done he's, he's got like a stand-up career as well doesn't yeah, he where he like yeah, plays yeah. guitar and yeah <laughs> but yeah no christopher lloyd obviously like an oversized president i mean arguably the thing that makes this all like even when this franchise is dipping into some like rough territory i think it's the power of lloyd as a charismatic presence that like helps keep it on the up and up it Um, is one of the most annoying things in the world is that taxi the tv show is not available to watch in the uk (laughs) on any legal means and i'm like i want to watch the tv show with cal kane christopher lloyd andy kaufman Mm. mary lou henna danny devito and judd hirsch like i want to watch this show why the fuck am i not able to watch like one of the the most like formative sitcoms of all time (laughs) 
they build to Doc Brown for 20 minutes before he appears. He has a voice on the phone. We are hanging out in his house. 80s obsession with Rube Goldberg machines that you you referred to in Gremlins, you know, is his, his breakfast machine. Oh, this this is 100% like one of the things that fucking Zemeckis <laughs> is obsessed with. Obviously, like the opening tracking shot of the of his wake up routine, but he's been mm. away for a few days. So like the coffee pot isn't in and the dog food is just piling up and all this other stuff. Toast is like, black. <laughs> yeah, toast is black. And it's all building up to him with the fucking feather in Forrest Gump. Like all of these things that he's doing are like dry runs for like when he gets to like the point in his career where like let's do a single tracking shot of this thing doing an insane thing that you end up with yeah. fucking Pinocchio where like all of the the Pleasure Island stuff is like a camera shot through a ro- fucking roller coaster and you're like no stop this. Yeah, I just really <laughs> like the idea that Spielberg and his bad boy gang of Rube Goldberg enthusiasts, you know, are <laughs> just terrorizing Hollywood with their contraptions. But yeah, you know, you are building to doc brown for 20 minutes and you know michael j fox is is carrying that time as a little charisma machine and you know we have all the power of love stuff and you know establishing the family and then when doc brown does appear christopher lloyd is immediately just at 11 and (laughs) thrives there and it's never bad for a second i don't think in any of the movies he is for sure the mvp of this entire franchise i mean there's a reason why the third movie pivots so hard into being about doc brown and his like love interests Mm. because like (laughs) it obviously marty and mark j fox are the leads he is carrying the movie he's carrying the weight of so much of like the actual personal stuff for some of these movies that it's just nice to see christopher lloyd get to do something in that third movie because he's good as a supporting presence in this movie but like he is fucking off for kind of like 20 30 minutes at a time yeah. at points in this movie and you're like oh, I kind of want yeah, a little you bit. want the crazy guy back you know setting up the premise of like and, and he's also got a he's got an unenviable task of having to deliver all of that exposition about how all their time travel works you know and and it's all good and iconic and you know 88 miles an hour and flux capacitors and at the 1. end 1.21 gigawatts yeah and at the end of the iconic you know where we're going we don't need roads and and yeah he he crushes every line reading the fascination with the tv camera in his past self and like no wonder your president's an actor he's got to look good on tv or whatever <laughs> yeah i love how economic this opening is because obviously yeah. like it takes kind of like, what 15 20 minutes or however long it takes for them to get to like introducing doc and or they 20, can get literally to- 20 i think nine, 19 minutes i time yeah. hours and you know you've got your opening credits so if you want to take a minute or yeah. two off but, but like yeah. all the stuff with like just introducing what the stakes are for marty like these things mm. that he is fighting to keep <laughs> get laid on the weekend <laughs> yeah, well, things like that is that is his prerogative it's like he wants to exist so he can go get laid yeah and like you know not for nothing but claudia wells as jennifer who barely has any lines on the matt waters 80s dreamboat girlfriend list for sure does she return in back to the future too or do they no, recast it, her? They recast her oh. with, and I think we discussed we discussed this a couple of weeks ago. Oh, uh, God. They recast her with the love interest from Karate Kid. Oh, of course, yeah. And like, I'm glad that she gets more to do in that one because it does kind of. I mean, I'm not saying he has to bring his girlfriend back in time while he's trying to not bang his own mum, but like, you know, she she's got a very tiny part, and like, this is a very small cast, and really, like, you, yeah. you are so- kind of looking at five people. So originally, Melora Hardin was was cast as Jennifer. 
So Jan from The Office was going to play the love interest in this. Uh, she was fired after Eric Stoltz was fired because she was too tall to appear next to Michael J. Fox, who is not a very tall person. No. <laughs> then they recast with Elizabeth Shue. So lots of people have played Jennifer, a role which you, know, you wouldn't yeah. think would be this much trouble in this movie to Just, like get one actress to play this. Yeah, like barely any lines in the beginning, in the end, that's it kind of thing. But yeah, his entire motivation is drive his parents car up to a lake cabin or whatever and bang his girlfriend do you know what the thing that i actually really appreciate about this movie is the restraint i have to imagine if you're doing this movie or if someone is pitching this movie nowadays they probably have like a present set storyline yeah where like the kids are disappearing and everyone's fucking freaking out and stuff like that and you're like cross-cutting between Mm. the present day stuff and like what's happening in the in the past and you're like yeah it doesn't doesn't need it he just needs to see the fucking photograph of like his his siblings disappearing all the rest like ridiculous and contrived but very effective i will say it is funny though because like they don't change the clothes on the siblings but then obviously (laughs) like when he gets the when he gets back to the present like they will change their clothing and like surely the picture would have changed surely like it wouldn't have come back as like yeah. the original picture but i guess they don't want to like nah, spoil spoil what happens at the end yeah. where like the punch has made george into like a confident business person who isn't under biff's fun um, <laughs> a reaganomics <fun>. guy <laughs> with his, his fucking yuppie children and you know like the daughter is a real real character huh <laughs> but yeah i mean for the most part this is a a five-hander with doc and marty the parents and biff um, yeah, and you know we've got a lot of people like Billy fucking Zane is, is hanging out as one of the bullies and stuff but for the most part it is a, a five-hander and as I said like well you know you correcting me you know, the universal lot um, that set is like super easy for them to control the high school they can use in both eras kind of thing I, yeah, do, like... I, I do really like the principal who <laughs> like Strickland who is like just doesn't age <laughs> James Tolkien just good fun like he's only really got like kind of the two scenes or whatever in this one but he gets to be in all three movies I think he's like one of the only actors who's in all three it's like him Biff and uh, Marty and Doc obviously but like yeah. just just funny that like they're like no let's just have this old principal yeah <laughs> and then I mean we can't really go any further without addressing the sort of five minutes that everybody politely agrees to pretend doesn't exist with the bizarre Libyan terrorist subplot. Yeah. <sighs> Obviously well, I, you I, need I, some I, stakes and like I actually do kind of like the hook of Marty trying to save Doc's life and, and, and stuff like that and you know he's got a plutonium covered. He's got to have a it's got to be a power source that like wasn't available in the past to explain why he can't just immediately come back. Which they then immediately sh- overwrite in the in the present day when like he comes back and he's like he can turn he's invented trash- a new <laughs> he well, yeah, trash- but he's just come into- back from the future 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 but like- no I know but it's just quite funny that like the entire movie hinges on like the fact that like you are stuck here one journey means you have to find some more energy to come from and yeah. he comes back like yeah just some beer and a banana skin <laughs> yeah just recycle trash green king yeah there surely had to be another way of achieving all of this then i'm just trying to figure out like was there a recent political occurrence that would make libya the country that you would like pin this on or was this them going like eh, nothing's really ever happened in libya so like we're not going to get in trouble i mean say but then like all the subtitles are like speaking arabic and stuff like that yeah. like, i feel like this we're is coming that- up on yeah the, the events of charlie wilson's war um <laughs> Yeah, I mean... It, it is funny to compare it to... You watch this movie, and obviously they put a name to the country and to yeah. like what's going on and all the rest of it, and then 
the movie we're discussing next week <laughs> is a movie in which they just like steadfastly refuse to put a name to who the villainous characters are mm-hmm. and it's just funny to watch the difference between two of them and I have to assume it's because the movie we're discussing next week is like related to the military industrial <laughs> complex and like would probably get them in trouble if they were explicitly to put a country yeah. in the movie <laughs> <laughs> but then for we'd just be like yeah fucking Libyans yeah <laughs> with two very white people playing them yeah i mean it's it's awkward it it feels out of place in an otherwise mostly child-friendly movie to have these machine gun toting terrorists who are trying to steal plutonium who just casually have a rocket launcher in the back of their van they're fucking is it like a little vw bug van no not a bug uh like a little vw van camper van yeah 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 all very strange but i mean you know everything with him up to there is great it's all there to just kind of like set in line the kind of like the two events of this movie in terms of marty goes back into is marty aiming to go back in time or is he just like driving the car real fast and forgets oh he's dumb as shit like he (laughs) just an empty-headed boy who is just thinking of getting his fuck on that's why that's the driving he's really bad at his he knows everything in the past and he's really bad at it It's just, it's just when he says the line, let's see if you guys can hit 90. And I'm just like, yeah. do you know you have to, like, do you remember what this car does when you hit 88 miles per hour? Or is this just you going like, I'm in a DeLorean, I can go 90, you can't get to 90 in a, in a VW camper van. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I assume he's doing that thing while well, I'm recording it, so I don't actually need to listen. Because, yeah, he is. Do they ever get into how this relationship was formed? Like, no. He just hangs out. With this batshit old I inventor. I assume it's because he's got an amp. And it was just like he found this guy. <laughs> he could play his music real loud at this guy's house. And that was how the friendship was formed. That's somehow weirder to me. But yeah, I mean... Maybe he, Doc put an advert out and was like, I'm working on an amp. I just need someone who's a, a budding guitarist. Maybe to at one point him. he was able to get him a college credit or something. <laughs> because he calls him out at 1.15 in the morning to, to the outskirts of a mall. And... Very strange. Then picks him handle nuclear guns. Yes, wearing a hazmat suit. Yeah, um, and makes his dog Einstein travel back in uh, forward in time by a minute. Just all really good stuff, uh, and you know the spinning license plate, all of that, and then yeah, the awkward stuff for the Libyans, and then we're into the you know like the, let's have Marty very slowly realise this is real kind of thing after a brief detour into making him look like a spaceman and freaking out some people. Yeah, I mean bottom. that's that's all like Pete Zemeckis like being into like his his like old timey pulp yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, like this is the ultimate boomer example because this is very much going back to like Zemeckis's childhood era. Like, in very, as we said, like I, I can't remember which one we discussed it on, but like the thirty-year cycle of pop of pop culture nostalgia, mm. and the eighties are so firmly nostalgic for the fifties. Yeah. And like when it was like we're post-war, the economics are booming, like everyone's just kind of like coming up on all this stuff. Like milk cost like twenty-five cents or whatever. You took your girl in your convertible car to, to prom and you have a nice wholesome time. <laughs> Apart from we learn in this movie, Lorraine is like a real big sex pest. Oh, she's the horniest character, possibly the horniest female character in the history of cinema. And like to establish like, I never chased after a boy. And then just like, she is the thirstiest bitch in the world it's incredible um just like oh he has to stay with us right and <laughs> like squeezing his leg under the table like, i've seen your underwear calvin you've got your name all over them and, and then her in the car where it's like it's almost like airplane when they're in the car at the dance and like marty's <laughs> supposed to be like like coming on to her and she's just like smoking and like taking drinks and he's just like oh my god like she keeps on bringing like more elaborate this stuff is... out of her yeah just confiscating everything and then yeah they've got to like 
tits up to the chin and yeah like and that he is going through with a plan that is like could you just lightly sexually assault your mother please (laughs) and like he's cool with it up until it's about to happen and then it seems like it's dawning on him for the first time what he has to do and it's like why did you agree to any of this? I have to assume he hoped George would get in before, like, the, the light sexual assault began. Mm-hmm. But Yeah, but, I mean, we we have this, you know, what I, I love the little touch of, you know, he's in the diner, he's sitting there, he's asking for drinks, that, like, the references are now complete, you know, no child watching this would understand what a tab or a... a a free coke or whatever they phrase coke, it coke, coke free. It, it's so funny, because, like, they're all jokes that are like good at the time obviously like in terms of like oh yeah you don't have a you you need to make it you need to buy something to have a tab or whatever and like i'm not going to give you anything for free but like the movie is so firmly of the 80s like (laughs) it's that funny thing of like when we were talking earlier on about like what marty wears and he's got like the fucking life preserver like (laughs) as his like as his jacket everyone's asking (laughs) like (laughs) asking like where is he Are, are you like coming from the pool or are you going for a swim or whatever it is and in the time you have to imagine they're thinking like these are like timeless cultural references everyone will get these forever mm. and you watch it now and it's almost like i understand the 50s better than the 80s <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah yeah I'm like, oh yeah tab i mean it may be in america those would both play but i feel tab is is well known as like legendarily as like a defunct so no no but... there are kids nowadays who don't know that the word save icon is a floppy disk okay like, like, <laughs> we, are, we are assuming an awful lot that the current generation of like people who are younger than us would understand tab i feel like we yeah. only know what tab is because we grew up with stuff that was we made by too people. much tv yeah. with too much tv made by people who grew up in an era where tab existed sure. we are now in an era of television where the people making television did not grow up in an era where tab existed and the only time you would reference tab would be to take the piss out of someone who grew up in an era before you yeah 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 but i say all that to say the wonderful touch of blocking out george with somebody standing in front of him or whatever and then you have the moment where they are both touched in the back of their head in the exact same way and they both respond when biff says hey mcfly just a great piece of non-verbal acting a nice touch and then he just sets out on this journey of <laughs> fucking up the past massively saving his father from the car crash that caused him to you know i mean it, it makes sense like his impulse is oh shit my dad is gonna hit, get hit by a car and i'm an empty-headed child who doesn't <laughs> understand this is how it all happened and they've told me that this story less than 20 minutes it, ago it is very convenient that his dad getting hit by the car is the exact same day that doc brown like falls and hits his head on the toilet and invents time travel absolutely i mean so I'm it's not, a closed not, loop not, it's an aerobarus not not complaining but it's just quite funny that like yeah. this is like the most eventful week like this is the week that he could fuck up the most yeah. stuff and also the only week or like the first time he could have possibly convinced someone that time travel was real yeah yeah oh and you know it goes without saying again you know i'm a sucker for when people signpost things and set things up very clearly we have that clock tower thing said in the first five minutes that like oh yeah however many years ago today it was like it struck by lightning and then obviously that is the the, the macguffin to get him home again and all that oh yeah like, this movie is impeccably crafted and yeah. it is quite funny that like we're basically at the point right now everything is just hijinks yeah like it's or, like basically the the impetus has happened he's gone back in time he he is now fucked up time enough that like he needs to return to the present or he needs to like fix his parents relationship but really the next like hour of the movie mm. is literally just i need to get my parents to fuck 
and also I need to figure out how to get 1.21 gigawatts I'm, worth I'm of energy. too damn sexy for my own god damn it well, I mean um, but I, I have um, it's funny how the movie has kind of like come into actual like factum or whatever like I'm sure they didn't have the studies back in the 80s but like the amount of times that you see nowadays of someone going like I never knew my like sibling growing up because we both went to different foster homes and we met when we were adults and fell in love <laughs> And like just that like weird messed up thing where like mm. when you when you meet someone who is like even if they're blood related there is an attraction to them and how often you confuse that attraction for like sexual attraction as or like the familiarity to... kind of thing yeah. yeah yeah you see that all the time where people are like really drawn to or like you know we saw it with like the arguments with like Kyle Reese is he is he hot for John Connor and then it turns out no he just he knows he's his dad on some level subconsciously. Yeah. And wants to protect him, but and we get all the stuff with like the concept of a rerun, owning multiple televisions, all of this stuff that it's a lot of like just jokes at the expense of like yeah. what the 1950s were like. It's all j- just good fun. I mean, I, what what do you think is kind of like the centerpiece of this section of the movie? Because I always think back to like the chase around the square. Oh, where he like, like invents skateboarding because he's a yes. rad dude. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty good and like. I, incredible piece of directing as he is hanging onto the front as they're trying to ram him and so he just runs over the car and back on the skateboard and everything like logistically not i have to see if they were not moving the car at that point they were just doing it in such a way where like the camera and marty are moving at the same speed Mm. which gives the implication sure that the car is moving again like it's one of those things where like to do it safely that's the only way i could think to do it but like you get the you get the feeling that things are moving quicker than they actually are, but in reality, probably is just like the car is stationary and he's just climbing over it or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But like an incredible visually and oh, you know, absolutely. It's, it, he it's just, just and he just fun. can't win for losing. Like you know, he accidentally has has captured Lorraine's heart um, and to the point she's ignoring. You know, he's trying to push George down the path, like playing Van Halen as space music. And and know, to like, be fair, it must be really hard to push George. Like, I'm very intrigued to see how this relationship started originally, because, like, it gives it gives the question of, like, was Lorraine tempering herself because of what George is like, and George is quite, like, yes. prim and proper and stuff like that. So, like, when she's saying, like, oh, I never chased boys and stuff like that was because she never had, like, the, the burning in her loins because, like... I, I don't know. No, I do think that, like, they're just getting at that thing where people forget or like lie about selectively yeah yeah retell their own past kind of thing or like we're going to ignore that i was the horniest woman alive because i want you know do as i say not as i do kind of thing but Um, it is interesting to compare them like when she has a george with a bit more oomph like a george who's had like his confidence returned to him by how it changes and how different their dynamic is where like george is like fucking horny at the end of the movie and like pinching her ass in front of the oh yeah i'm sure she's like massively repressed in the in the she would read Fifty Shades of Grey and think it's the greatest piece of work of all time. Like, you know, that is the appeal of that book, is to repressed, horny housewives. And that book would have come out when she was, like, 30 years later, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah. She would have been the star of the book club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, like, I mean, the implication that her son was her sexual awakening is even more disturbing. <laughs> that she was just a prim proper lady, and then she caught sight of calvin and suddenly her loins are aflame but i mean the stuff with the smoking and the drinking that does feel very like because he he knows nothing about it he's not influenced uh like introducing these things it just feels like she was a popular girl who like got stuck in a rut of a marriage that made her like a lot more boring 
but yeah, no, the, the the square is definitely the thing. And and as I said, like Marty can't win for losing. He's he's trying to make George more assertive, and he keeps accidentally upstaging him. The instinct to protect his mother and father from this asshole that is still in his life to this day, kind of thing. Yeah, as you say, like em- empty brain entirely working off of like instinct almost. Like lizard brain is is fully working at this point, not thinking the implication of like anything that he could possibly change. Yeah. And then, as you say, meanwhile, like, he, he's met younger Doc, has convinced him of everything. Sorry about this crude, incredible model of the town. <laughs> it's, not, it's not to scale. <laughs> Sorry it's not to scale. <laughs> and I think he gives him that, like, pat on the shoulder of, like, oh, that's okay, buddy. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, incredible. I, think it, I, I have to imagine, like, when Doc says that, he just means that, like, it's not, like, one building is, like, just slightly out of scale, <laughs> whatever it is. The rest is perfect. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, he's setting up. Again, signposting. You, it's like a he- it's heist movies 101. You illustrate how it's supposed to happen and then obviously something will go wrong and we can have this faux drama of him dangling off the clock tower and everything but until then we must go to a dance and just engage in just uproarious amounts of of just this 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 to me well i mean obviously in terms of like the racial insensitivity of this movie yes the libyan thing the libyan thing feels like an omnipresent part of like it's the 80s. Yeah. It's the 80s, 80s, 90s, 2000s general kind of like Islamic um, Arabic like phobia that is just yeah, kind of like yeah, a general yeah. malaise over all culture in the Western world of this era. You shouldn't absolutely not give it a pass, but it feels like it's just a thing that was omnipresent. In the if culture. you made it again today, they wouldn't do that bit, but they might still do this bit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Where Marty, he... Mc... Marty McFly inventing rock music or rock and yes. roll or whatever. For Chuck it's... Berry, yes. Oh, it's your cousin, Marvin Berry. As he plays Johnny Be Good and blows their tiny minds. It's a funny bit. It but you is... almost you almost wish it was any other artist apart from Chuck Berry. And yeah, exactly. Because... Like if he did if he did a Beatles song, you're yeah. a bit like, okay, more yeah. acceptable. But, but like about... the, the undercredited arguable inventor of rock and roll who had to give all of the limelight to fucking Elvis. Yeah, to then take it back away from him again as he's starting to get some form of recognition and give it to the whitest man alive. But it's fun seeing him play Johnny Be Good, unfortunately. Johnny Very Be Good clearly of, not. Johnny Be Good's one of the greatest songs of all oh, time. Yeah. Of course it's good to see someone play Johnny Oh Be yeah, Good. yeah, no. I'm saying I would still have a good time if the band were playing Johnny Be Good and like, oh yeah. Or like, you know... I mean, I guess the point is we've established Marty's enthusiasm for the guitar and, and all of that, but like in a world where it's like the guy cuts his hand, oh, my cousin Chuck has always wanted to be in the band. Oh, not him, he's the dweeb. And then you put, and you know, he gets his shot because Marty injured the guy's hand or whatever. But then, yeah, as I said, you've, you've spent the whole movie establishing he wants to make it as a guitar player or whatever. But yeah, that it sucks, but hey. I, again, um, it's almost like, because obviously, when does Johnny B. Good come out? Because it is like a year after the movie is set, isn't it? Johnny B. Good comes out in 1958. So, like, it still takes him three years to kind of get to that point, but it's like, you almost wish he was going for something that was like a 60s song or a 70s song, just yeah. to kind of, like, ease off a little bit. I don't know what he would do, but, like, paint it black or something would fit into <laughs> just the general style. It's a school dance song, though, is it? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just trying to think of like what is another like popular good rock song. I want to hold your people... hand. Sure, I want to hold your hand and have it be a reference to the, the Zemeckis movie of <laughs> the same name. 
Done it. Nailed it. Rewrite achieved. One of the greatest movies of all time. We made it better. I'm sure it wouldn't cost a lot of money to get I Want to Hold Your Hand. Notoriously even to, even cheap. To cover it. Even yeah. to cover it. Yeah, very cheap. Them, the Rolling Stones, you can just do what you want. But oh, yeah. Just real tangent, this can definitely get cut. Sure. Um, last night, so Clerks 3 opens with them playing the entirety of Welcome to the Black Parade from start to finish, like whilst they're like recreating, like them playing hockey and stuff like that. And I'm just out there going, like, how much did this fucking cost? Like, I... Does it matter how much of a song you play? I thought it was kind of like for, I think, for five I think... seconds or the whole thing, it costs the same amount. I think it can depend on like how much of the song you play. If you play all of it, it probably means that it costs you a lot and so you want to get as much out of it as fucking possible. Yeah, that, that's how I've always perceived it, as like when you hear somebody use a song multiple times or for a long time it's like this costs money we're using it <laughs> that's why the opening 15 minutes of this song is all the power of love but yeah, it was just funny because it's like Black, the Welcome to Black Parade is not a short song and like no. literally the opening like shot of the movie is like the piano note at the start mm. of Welcome to the Black Parade and I was like okay where are we going with this what yeah. is going to happen and then it's literally like five minutes later you're like wow they did the whole fucking song <laughs> well Mythic Quest beat them to it so I don't know. <laughs> did they do the whole song in Mythic Quest? I don't think they I don't think they do the whole thing but they certainly do a large chunk of it. Anyway, yes, Marty must go and assault his own mother. It goes badly because, you know, George has agreed to the plan. He's going to save Lorraine from Marty, who's obviously not going to actually do anything and will take a dive for his father. Uh Uh-oh, Biff's involved now. That's a much larger human being to punch in the face. (laughs) Uh, And Biff just sending his goons like, oh, it's, you know, it's not a peep show. Like, you know, off you go. (laughs) Yeah, lock him, in, lock him in the trunk of just... just Take him around the corner while I do a little rape. Yeah, and then George. I mean, you talked about, like, influence and giving him a push and, and all of that stuff, but, like, this wasn't part of the plan and all on his own, he does get the impetus to punch Biff and balls up his fist and everything. And, you know, the message of the movie, violence is the answer, kids. Women respond to seeing men physically assert themselves over other men um, because he still hasn't sealed the deal like Marty is still fading away after he's sort of begun to woo her because some redheaded guy is like oh the way McFly I'm dancing with Lorraine and it's not until he shoves him to the ground that like ah it's not the sign of a good and healthy relationship that this is <laughs> <laughs> she's horny for violence yeah yeah not really but I mean it's movies yeah, and then, yeah, the Johnny B. Good stuff, the, the hijinks and chicanery with the car and falling in the clock tower, but it does work. And then, as we said, he sees himself. And, yeah, as I said earlier, like, he spent ages trying to tell Doc, hey, wear a bulletproof vest or whatever, and Doc yeah, trying steadfastly... Yeah, trying, trying to figure out a way to tell him in a way that is, like, the least impact on... The future, yeah. On the future, where, like, oh, here's a note that says don't open this until the year that it's going to happen kind of thing. And, like, it's the smartest he is about all of this shit across (laughs) the entire movie. His whole brain is going into saving Doc and (laughs) not himself. (laughs) But, yeah, and I like that Doc is steadfast and he's like no don't fucking tell me anything I, I refuse the responsibility of knowing what happens in the future kind of when do you think doc reconstructs the letter like do you think I doc like know. immediately like gets the sellotape and like 
that does it back up, or do you think he waits until 1985 to like look at the letter? Absolutely no idea. I assume he waited until 1985. <laughs> He's a good boy. Who He's knows? He's a good boy. He's a good boy. Also, but like bulletproof, bulletproof vests don't work like that. Yes, in terms of uh, one of the most recurring bits on our podcast are bulletproof vests do not work like that. One shot from a gun breaks a bulletproof vest yeah. that makes it not bulletproof anymore. Useless, and it still hurts, and it still knocks you down, and you still get a bruise and shit. Probably broken ribs as well. Do not die though. But if they shoot you twice, you're dead. Yeah, he briefly thinks he's lost him again. Say what you want about how complicated they make all of two, basically. But, like, it is effective, like, Marty watching Marty kind of thing. And, uh, yeah, but then Doc lives, and Marty's whole life is better. And uh, his father (laughs) has written a novel about his son visiting him to tell him to go fuck his mum. And the best part, Biff is abused by the McFlies and is their indentured servant. And, you know, obviously a shitbag, obviously attempted to assault a woman, but, like, on a weird level, you're like, I get it. I get why Biff would then, like, attempt to wield vengeance against them. Yeah, and it is funny that the second movie is just literally... He has been, like, kowtowed this entire time into, like, this role or whatever it is, and then the second movie is like, he is a vindictive, bitter old man. Who is Trump. Like, <laughs> yes, he is quite literally Donald Trump in the second movie. Uh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, it's simple, it's fun, it's, it's wielding nostalgia for 80s people, it's now wielding nostalgia you know the 80s stuff um and yeah it's 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 got the ultimate example where it's kind of got the i mean obviously we are now seven years on from the 30th anniversary of this movie as depressing <laughs> that as that is so like it's not even to a point where like because obviously a lot of people were begging for them to do something in 2015 like do a back yeah. to the future 4 in 2015 do oh is it i think you've told me this but is bob gale like stead like staunchly like don't fucking touch Back to the Future. But Bob Gale is like the guy who is like in charge of Back to the Future. So Robert Zemeckis right. is kind of like fully hands off at this point. But Bob Gale is the guy who's like shepherding the new stuff across. Because I don't... you've got to think blank checks are being written to remake it. Kind oh of yeah, one hundred percent. He is he's the person who's got control over it. He's the person who's saying like, oh, we can do a Back to the Future comic book series. We yeah. can do the video game tie-ins. Yeah. We can do this stuff. I mean, the shoe campaign. Yeah, it's funny because he's got like almost no credits after a certain point. But he was one of the guys who was writing Spider Man during brand new day like he was one of like the four guys in that writer's room where... so he knows about fucking stuff up or oh, is that fixing it i can't remember that's fixing it because that's okay. after like one last day or one last day sorry that's the one oh, yeah. Yeah. but yeah I mean, and i think yeah, that's he... probably for the best like i think it has protected the legacy of the franchise a bit like even with people being like yeah back to the future 3 isn't so good or whatever but it does still hold this sort of legacy um and that's probably because it hasn't been revisited ad nauseum yeah he's he's being smart with what they're doing and a lot of the stuff is there's a lot of the stuff they're doing is playing off of the nostalgia for the original production so like you have the musical like yeah. which is i think it is just an adaptation of the movie you um, think it seems easy to... I mean, you know, you you got to do some bullshittery, clever stage design with, with the DeLorean, but, like, the oh, rest, yeah, as I said, is all, like, three locations, isn't like, it? I think, I think the DeLorean, like, flies over the audience at the oh, end. Oh, cool! <laughs> <laughs> Opens... Oh, oh, apparently it's opening in Broadway next year. So, mm. like, yeah, at the moment it's only in London, but you can still go see it. It's so yeah. funny that it's a London... Yeah. Oh, yeah, it started in Manchester, I think, where, like, the, the okay. dry runs, and it moved to London kind of, like, last year. I'm sure it uses the turntable thing that has been in vogue for the last, like, six, seven years. In yeah, I mean, it's funny well. It's funny when you look at it, because, like, Alan Silvestri is credited with the music, so I assume they're using okay. the score of the movie, and then they're putting lyrics over that. Yeah. Do and they then... have the rights to Power of Love? 
I think Parable Love is in it as is Johnny B. Good. Fair enough. But you get both of the big songs um, and Back in Time. Oh, yes, of course. Sorry, and Back in Time. Very on the nose, but fuck it. You've made an on the nose movie, so <laughs> why not? But yeah, no, just a delightful little chunk of nostalgia. As we said, like huge cultural footprint, huge impact on the shaping of certain people's personalities, infinitely quotable, and just the best roles of multiple people. There is beauty in the simplicity of it, yeah. even though at the time it probably was seen as a little bit complicated. But, oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it rules. I'm sure there are some people that are like notorious grumps about this kind of thing, and they're like, oh, the, the fall of cinema like hate this hate this thing's too twee too too yeah. bo- too boomery nostalgia stuff like that yeah like, I, sure but i'm not saying you can't criticize anything but like there is a line and like this is what it is there like, are certain things where if you're going to comfort with your knives out you have to imagine <laughs> you're like either quite a bit of vindictive person or you just don't like other people having fun yeah again, fake movie um, again legitimate criticism uh, criticisms that can be like levied at a lot of these things but like to to couch your dis- dissatisfaction in other people enjoying it always feels a little bit weird to me yeah it's bad faith imo right but yeah. that's back to the future. any any last minute thoughts that you've got on max the future no I just, i'm just repeating myself it, it's just apart from one panic i've never said this is my favorite movie ever but like when i'm thinking of big blockbuster stuff that is attempting to capture the entire nation the entire world i think it's it's rarely been topped if ever oh yeah this this hollywood firing on all cylinders basically it's 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 the kind of thing that you miss where like it's i feel like it used to be that you would make like your big blockbuster movies and have them be comedies as a genre like Mm. obviously this movie isn't like a straight comedy in the same way like ghostbusters is but like I mean, the best joke is, ha this guy's mum wants to bang him. <laughs> but, like, there, there's a level of humour in these that is a very far drift away from, like, what Marvel's doing now, where mm. Marvel is, like, the, the entire humour is coming from one-liner, quippy dialogue kind of things, and not Well, they've from... shifted away from one-liners to, like, self-aware nonsense, where they're just riffing yes. on themselves, and that... I don't know if that is the reason Marvel has been <laughs> so bad, or it's just a coincidence, or it's a symptom, but... I just miss like visual jokes that yeah, this has yeah, like the opening yeah. shot of like the Rube Goldberg machine I yeah. miss like them getting covered in shit I miss like even even something like that obviously one of those the really fucking annoying trend of people going like 10 easter eggs in Back to the Future that you never saw before when he comes back to the mall at the end because he killed one of the pine trees it's Lone Pine Mall and it's like yeah cool I think if you didn't notice that you weren't paying attention to the movie before. that's just that's for the yeah like it's for the 1% of people and don't worry about it. There has become an obsession with if you don't get 100% of a thing it's bad and, and it was badly made and it's like, no, you arguably should only get like 70% of the references that stuff is making and you, you know, don't worry about it. Anyway, it's a simpler time and I feel we have been boomer-pilled just as that, but in a weird way in the same way that this was selling people uh, an idyllic 50s. Right. We have so, been sold so an idyllic Hollywood. But never we mind. have been sold an idyllic Hollywood. But speaking of movies with nostalgia for yes. the 1950s, we now have to do possibly the most 80s movie of all time. Yep. We are now firmly committed to covering Tony Scott's Top Gun. Hell yeah. It's time to play with the boys, Ben. <laughs> So, my partner works with some people who are obsessed with playing with the boys to the point where, like, she now gets like noticeably annoyed whenever she hears the song. Oh, 
um, and one of one of the one of the work colleagues lives just down the road from us, so like they're coming around to watch the movie with us like this week. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. It's well, fine. She'll, she'll, have, just, she'll have a great time. She's, what if you just now... watch Hot Shots instead? <laughs> just watch Hot Shots instead. What if we watch Maverick as well? I have not seen Maverick as of the recording. It seems highly unlikely I'm going to, but hey. unless you go to the cinema, I'm I'm real happy it's worked out for Miles Teller, but you know. <laughs> Is it still playing in Cambridge? Just gonna Probably, see. Yeah. There is a screening in forty minutes. <laughs> All right, off we go. For a screening of forty minutes. They're closed tomorrow, obviously, obviously for the obviously. Queen, and then the screening eight twenty on Tuesday. Okay. I mean, I have to be in the office by like eight thirty. But... Oh no, I mean like eight twenty in the evening. Oh, that's fine then. Yeah, um, you can like midnight. I'm not gonna watch Maverick. Man. I know you're not gonna watch that. <laughs> it's, it's just it's just quite funny that it's still playing. Actually, I think Tuesday's the last time they're playing at the Art oh, Picture House. Okay. So unless you go now. All right. Well, we'll see how Sunday shakes. <laughs> how many? How many? How many people are in there at the moment? Let's have a look. There are one, two, three, four, five, six people in there at the moment. Wow. It will be a very quiet screening for you. That's ideal. That's why I go there because <laughs> it costs more and it's snooty and upmarket. And I am a snob apparently who doesn't want to be in a screen with screaming children or anything like that. But yeah, next week. Yes. Top Gun. Top Gun. I'm I'm very excited. It'll be the second time I'm watching Top Gun this year because I did rewatch it ahead of Top Gun Maverick. Of course you did. Like uh, I said, you are incapable of watching anything <laughs> without watching everything that came before it. True. I will <laughs> be watching Avatar before Avatar Two as well. Yep. Um, I might do the the 3D run in cinema as well, just because I am that broken. Mm-hmm. Black Panther uh, before Black Panther Two. Yeah. I won't do that one. Really? Oh, because yeah. you're doing the big Marvel rewatch. At some Marvel point. rewatches that's coming at some point, so we'll we'll hold off on that one. But anyway. Yes. I have to ask you a question, Matthew. You do? And that question is, will there be movies? I already did a, like, you know, we've got to make sure people fuck people's mums joke for Terminator. So, (laughs) no, next week it will be an episode where we are waiting for pauses in this episode and then talking over them and making sure we say the things we were intending to say. Uh, It's going to be convoluted, but don't worry. It'll be a really interesting layered episode. It will literally be layers of two podcast episodes over each other. Yeah, and then the week after that, have you been fitted for your cowboy outfit, or have you? Not, already... not okay. yet. I've got my boots ready. I'm just waiting for the hat to come. The boots are the hardest part. You've really got to wear the boots in. Having <laughs> having, been to a, having been to a boot boot sizing in Texas, it, it, like that's the hardest bit. I have no response. Goodbye. <laughs>